Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to an HBO podcast from the HBO Late Night series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Start the clock. so kind of you. I, I, I am hesitant to say that the president has hit a new low, because you'll think it's a repeat. <laughs> it's not. It's October 20th, 2017. A week for the history books, also for the books about abnormal psychology. <laughs> so here's what America was debating about this week. On Monday, Trump called the pregnant widow of a dead American soldier to console her and wound up pouring salt in the wound and feuding with her all week. Who knew empathy was so complicated? (laughs) I mean, if you could take a week where it was revealed that Harvey Weinstein sexually assaulted every single female in show business and still be the worst fat gross creep... (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) So... (laughs) And, you know... All of this came about because the same Trump pattern. Bluff, lie, attack. Because, you know, he doesn't know anything. So when he's asked about something, he's got a bluff. <laughs> and then when they call him out, when they call him on the bluff, then he lies. <laughs> and then when they call him on the lie, he attacks. So this is exactly what happened. Three weeks ago, four of our Green Berets were killed in the African country of Niger, and Trump didn't say anything for two weeks. But someone put him on the spot about it last week, so he bluffed and said, I wrote them letters. Of course, he didn't. (laughs) Probably didn't even know about them because they didn't do anything that would get on his radar like Neil at a football game. (laughs) (laughs) Calm down, Bill. (laughs) Two minutes into this story, I'm gonna... My head's gonna explode. Anyway, but then he says, forget the letters. I was just waiting for the right time to call, which in the case of the widow of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson turned out to be when she was in the car going to the airport to accept the body. This is when Trump thinks it is a good time to say to her he knew what he signed up for. Somewhere Rex Tillerson is saying, I told you he was a moron. And then Trump drags General John Kelly, his chief of staff, into this because Kelly's own son was killed in Afghanistan. And Obama never called. (laughs) 
So he sends out Kelly yesterday to defend his own inept call and stupid lies. And I feel bad for General Kelly having to defend this vile nincompoop. On the, on the other hand, he knew what he signed up for. <laughs> Now, look, I know General Kelly is the only thing that stands between us and World War III, <laughs> but this was not his finest hour. He spent a lot of time smearing this congresswoman who was in the car doing her job, and she was a friend supporting the widow when Trump's call came in. So Kelly does what Republicans always do. They invent new rules. I thought I had new rules. No, they have new <laughs> rules. Like, like, you know, if you, if you criticize the president overseas, it insults the troops. Oh, is that... Yeah, we, that's always been... No, they just... So he vents his new rule. A phone call from a president to a widow is sacred. And if it comes on a speakerphone, you can't listen in. <laughs> First of all, she wasn't listening in. She didn't tap the woman's phone. She happened to be in the car. And also, what kind of cretin in the whole history of the world has ever had to deny something he said during a condolence call? <laughs> this, then, okay. So, then General Kelly laments a short list of things that would always, in, in, his, in his youth, he said, I always thought would be sacred, but no longer are. And he says, women... Gold Star families. Above all, this is what we should hold sacred, women and Gold Star families. Now, if excuse me, I need to get back to defending my boss, the pussy grabber who insults war widows. <laughs> really? Oh. And it actually gets worse. Because of this subject coming up, we found out this week that back in June, Trump was on a condolence call to a father of someone who died, and apparently was so moved by his plight, he said, I'm going to do what no president's ever done. I'm going to write you a personal check for $25,000. And then never sent it. <laughs> or what he calls the art of the deal. <laughs> but, you know... You know, he needs that 25 grand because this happened this week. Donald Trump dropped 92 spots on the Forbes list of richest Americans. He was oh, also dropped to number two on Forbes' list of disgusting sex predators. So he's had a <laughs> terrible week. <laughs> oh, the, the right wing... I mean, not that he isn't a horrible sleaze, Harvey Weinstein, but the right wing media frenzy over Harvey Weinstein. I tell you, the men of Fox News are like, those of us who are left here are outraged. <laughs> And, you know, it is important to remember why all this sideshow shit is going on. There, you know, real policy moves are being made that affect all of our lives. I mean, this just this week, Trump's trying to dismantle Obama's Iran deal, Obama's clean power plan. One guy, I know. It's just... <laughs> Eric, you brought a friend. Uh... <laughs> Trying to, of course, get rid of Obamacare. I mean, everything Obama touched has got to go. You know those Confederate statues in the South that are such an eyesore? It's too bad Obama didn't put them up, because they'd all be gone by now. <laughs> and... Well, let's end on a happy note. I know Angelinos are thrilled. It's not my team. But the Dodgers are in the World Series, so... Yeah, I know. 
Though the Dodgers are such a favorite to win, they have already declined their invitation to the White House. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you folks around the country, you know, if you're going to watch the World Series, uh, Dodger fans are notorious for showing up late and leaving early. Like Trump in Puerto Rico. <laughs> anyway, we got a great show. James Carville, Margaret Hoover, and Eric Erickson are here. And a little later, we'll be speaking with author Daryl Davis. But first up, she is the former editor and an owner of the Hollywood Reporter Billboard Media Group. Please welcome Janice Min. Hey, Janice. Great pleasure to see you. How are you? Okay, so right. uh, you're a bit of a newsmaker yourself because, you know, the Hollywood Reporter, right, yes. was the, were the ones who were on this story with Harvey Weinstein before anybody else, and it was hard to... It's hard to land that whale on the shore, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was really hard, and I have to tell you, Harvey Weinstein has loomed over me for seven years, the whole time I have done The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, one of the- Literally loomed over you? <laughs> or mean, because he's loomed over a lot many, of Many, many yeah. women, yes. Um, he, you know, one of the first conversations I ever had, I had hired a reporter named Kim Masters, who was the first person I ever sure. hired. And the first conversation we had, she told me about a conversation she had had with Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. And it was off the record, but I'll tell you what she asked him. And she said, Harvey, well, he said, he said to her, you know, what do you want to know? And she said, I heard you rape women. What do you have to say about that? And so there are two publicists in the room with them who are sort of like uh, humana humana. And, um, and so from that point on, because I knew what his answer was, that we really put an effort, put a lot of effort towards trying to... What was his answer? I can't say. It was an off-the-record conversation, but it didn't... Oh, put, you took it us did, down I, that Yes, road I know, I know. But... Oh, what a... <laughs> <laughs> and I can't impugn him, oh, obviously. Um, okay. But it, uh, well, but it, it, it definitely didn't, didn't make me doubt right. all no, the smoke I, that I, was in the air. But for... it, it is funny that in this age where nothing, nothing we can agree on, the one thing that is bipartisan is treating women like this, right? Is I mean, treating women like yes, yeah. I mean that liberals do it. Conservative. I mean the liberals it, get caught. The conservatives get yes. caught. Do you see? Is there any pattern you see differently with, like, between liberals and conservatives on this or how their communities react to it? <laughs> I mean, I think the only pattern we see is that is, is how prevalent it is and how there are walls of secrecy around around these cases of abuse everywhere, whether it's Penn State, whether it's the Catholic Church, right. uh, whether it's, you know, the White House politics, um, that these things have... There's always a... Uh, there are always people covering up for them or, or enabling. Yes, and I've heard, you know, I've heard the conservatives say, you know, it took a village to help, you know, Harvey Weinstein, but it also took a village to elect the other sex predator. Well, that, I you mean, know, completely. And, a, a much bigger village, right. you know. I mean, I, I, I sort of have this feeling, I had, I had lunch today with two, two prominent women in Hollywood who said uh, th that it's actually been a welcome relief to talk about Harvey Weinstein this week instead of Donald Trump for once. But, right. I, you know, I have this theory that I think it's all just sublimated anger towards Donald Trump, this whole feeding frenzy. If you, you know, it's the one-year anniversary of the Access Hollywood tapes. And, right. you know, he gets elected, and this guy, there is some possible tangible crime and punishment that will happen now. What, what do you think conservatives have also said this week that... Um... You know, those of us who laughed at Mike Pence for following the Billy Graham rule. Yes. If you're not familiar with the Billy Graham, probably many of you are practicing it right now. <laughs> it's uh, if you're married, you never have like a meal right. or a drink with a single woman. Right. And I think when you go to any place where it serves alcohol, you bring 
you bring your wife because right. the chicks could get out of control and Completely. attack yes. Mike Pence. You right. know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they say, uh, well, if that, if, you know, if, if, if the liberals had practiced that, then, then Harvey, you know, the woman wouldn't be in this situation with Harvey Weinstein. Does yeah, that make any that sense? doesn't quite make sense. Let's remember, this is a man who calls his wife mommy or mother or whatever's going on there. He doesn't have... Like, Pence. He, Pence, right. Pence. Yeah, yes. no, Harvey, I don't think he did that. But the... Um, the uh... <laughs> One for Harvey. <laughs> yeah, we got it. But, <laughs> but, I mean, it's sort of, I mean... The, Harvey Weinstein is just emblematic of this whole larger issue that yeah. we we have not been able to solve, and and hopefully this makes that conversation happen more of um, women not being treated equally, not being in positions of power. And I think this whole thing has made me feel in the last week, I knew this was going on in Hollywood, but not to this extent. And you feel like, you know, if you're on your right. iPhone or your phone, like every 30 minutes, a news alert comes out about someone else that was It, it a reminds victim. me a little, I remember in the 90s, my dear old friend, still my friend, Roseanne. Yes. Talked about child molestation. Right. And I don't think it, and I, but I remember everybody being like, oh, she's exaggerating. Right. Of course we know it exists, but it's not widespread like she's saying. She turned out she was right. Right. And we found it, it is kind of really widespread it's or really way widespread. more than we but thought. It's, it's so mind boggling. And I, you know, I remember when I first learned about campus rape, for example, and I, I remember thinking, oh, that, it could never be that pervasive. Who wants to have sex with a comatose woman? Like that's, it, that, I, like how weird do you have to be? Like there are not enough It must people. be more about power. Absolutely. I, because I think like, isn't it easier to... They should teach a course right. in health class in school, like mm -hmm. how to be attractive to a woman. Right. Even Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> who is ugly... <laughs> One might say. Flat right? out ugly. Mm -hmm. Ugly men can be... A, Humphrey Bogart was not good looking. Correct. You can... Harvey Weinstein could have lost 135,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> like, just... Look, groomed, mm -hmm. dress fly, mm -hmm. be considerate. Right. Like, actually be interested. There is a way, Harvey, you actually could have gotten a woman to go to bed with you willingly. Right. I don't understand why that wouldn't have been so much well, more satisfying. Okay. But I... O'Reilly, you know, it's always about this, you know, it's 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 more power, don't you think? I, I, it is 100% about power, but, you know, Harvey is not, he was not just a sexual offender, he was also physically assaulting men, and he was known for, you know, he punched his brother in the nose, broke his nose, oh. he was known in meetings to throw things at people, and if you ever meet people yeah. who worked at the Weinstein Company or Miramax, Harvey's companies, there is a palpable PTSD around them, where, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> I mean, and like, and, but, you know, you, I would sometimes yeah. make this joke with him, oh, are you in a Harvey survivors group and it's not funny you know and right. they they are really stricken but the amazing thing about about the secrecy that goes around sexual assault they would tell you funny stories funny stories about you know his temper and freakouts and bad behavior but no one no one in seven years would ever go on the record and say he sexually assaulted right. someone uh, and and think you know what I kept thinking is if it's just like this in Hollywood with rich famous people right when do we get to the poor pe poor women in the country? That's, you know, I think about some... Absolutely. Because, you know, you're, we're working at the Tyson food plant chopping heads off well, chickens on a conveyor belt all day for $10 an hour, and the shift boss, you know, is well, like hinting he wants a yes. blood job or I could hire somebody right. else. What does that poor woman well, do? Well, okay, I mean, I think, you know, this also made me think this week about... I mean, we, this is a country that since 1923 
has been unable to pass an equal rights amendment. That we are, right. that we, you know, we believe, we say, and you grew up thinking that women are treated equally, and then, uh, but no one is able to legislate that because people, I think, too many people at heart don't want it, are not comfortable with it. And it's a basic, just we're basically fundamentally saying women should be paid the same, should have equal rights, and we can't even as a country agree on that. Uh, so whether you, you see how that trickles down to uh, workplace harassment, the ability to have recourse, the ability to go to an HR department and not have not think that that HR department's not going straight to Roger Ailes and asking Roger Ailes how to fix it. And you've seen that you saw that happen at the Weinstein Company. You know, you feel I think if you're a victim of sexual harassment or assault, you feel trapped. We're also losing our ability to talk about things. Right. I mean, SNL didn't do Harvey Weinstein jokes mm -hmm. and got shit about it. Right. And then James Corden did some, right. and he got shit about it. Yes. So which is it? And aren't publicists telling their clients, like, just don't oh, talk about terrifying. it? terrifying. That's a terrible well, state for America to be in about any issue, just completely. in general. Like, we are just too afraid to talk about this. It. Right, crazy. right, I, right. You know. Well, I mean, I feel like we're a little bit in, like, Robespierre French Revolution times here. Right. I say it every week, yes. the purity police. Well, yes. the... And, and I'll give you two examples this week that I thought were really unfortunate. One of them was Ben Affleck, who released a really nice statement about, um, about supporting the women. And, and there was... An, an unfortunate, very inappropriate incident he did 12 years ago, I believe it was, on, on MTV's TRL where he yeah. grabbed a woman's breast. I think under no circumstances anyone thinks that was a good thing. But it has, do you think Ben Affleck will ever talk about this topic again? Never in a million years, I'm assuming. And then another incident, uh, Molly Ringwald, the actress who a lot of us grew up with, she wrote a piece mm -hmm. in The New Yorker about... Uh, why she left Hollywood, moved to Paris, and a lot of it involved sexual assault and harassment, mm. you know, including when she was the age of 13, some crew member asking her to dance, and he had an erection. I mean, it was just, you know, really creepy stuff. But in that story, it referenced an incident uh, when she quit Hollywood. It's a pickup quote of a pickup quote, like a movie line, a publication that doesn't even exist that picked up a quote that Esquire thought was real. It may have not have even been real from Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I'm sure you know, a big executive here in town, mm -hmm. one of the legends here. And he was attributed with saying this quote at the time when Molly Ringwald left, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know who she was if she sat on my face. Okay, so, uh, so Jeffrey Katzenberg, who does not, I have never known, <laughs> I have never known to speak like that ever. Right. Is suddenly in this position yes, that, of, of having. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he said. I, right, that. I can't even yeah. imagine. So, He's not that funny. No. <laughs> No, he just, uh, you know, that's so yes, not him. It's so yes, not him. And right. so he is in this position of suddenly right. issuing an apology for it's something he manager. doesn't... my manager. For something he doesn't even, he's not even sure he said, but this, you know, he had stuck his neck out earlier. He right. released the email. He wrote to Harvey Weinstein after Harvey Weinstein asked him after the New York Times story well. came out looking for support. And all of a sudden, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey is, like, in this position of, oh, my God, do right. I we, continue talking about this topic? Liberals have to stop losing like, their shit. Calm down. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. Know who the enemy is yes. and embrace each other. Exactly. Thank you so much Thank for agreeing you. with me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Great job there. Thank okay. Thank you, Janice. Let's meet our panel. Hey, big guy. How are you? Thanks for coming. Okay. Hi. Okay, he is a legendary Democratic strategist who helped elect President Bill Clinton. James Carville is it? Mr. Popularity, huh? Wow. 
All right. She is a CNN political contributor and the president of American Unity Fund, our friend Margaret Hoover. Hey, how you doing? Very nice. Nice to see and he's a conservative radio host and founder of TheResurgent.com, whose new book is Before You Wake, Life Lessons from a Father to His Children. Wanted to get you here for a long time. Thank you for coming. Eric Erickson. <laughs> Republicans are brave. They come on my show. The Clintons never have come on my show. Just saying it. Okay, so uh, I can't fight it. You know, this, this issue with the widow, I was like, you know, Donald Trump's not going to pull me into his bullshit orbit again. But, you know, it's like gravitational. It's like amazing the way his talent for getting everybody in America to talk about this. So can I ask, though, about General Kelly? Because, you know, uh, I know first Ivanka was going to save us, and that didn't work out. <laughs> And now General Kelly is going to save us, but he smeared and lied. He smeared that Congress lady, and he lied about it. So now he was supposed to be the Trump minder, but now he acts like Trump. I mean, General Kelly, you can be this guy that everybody says, you know, you are the man of unimpeachable integrity, or you can take political hit shots and be the hatchet man. You can't do both, right? I think he needs right. to come out and apologize for the statement. I, I, I don't think it was an intentional lie on his part. Uh, if it's a pattern of behavior of his, maybe it is. But right now, I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he misspoke. Probably some other person wow. in the White House gave him the wrong facts. Yeah. But he needs to apologize but for it. But then he just said it's them. It's more than that, though. I mean, he it was Spicer-esque, actually, when he came out. It was like Sean Spicer in that right. moment after the election, right, where he says these are the largest crowds in the country history of any inauguration. And it's, he, he was really good for half of, the, half of the talk, John Kelly, and then, and then he went down the Spicer Road. And it's, it's that working for this president demands... He, the president demands that people who work for him go out and do his bidding at the expense of their own moral authority. And this is where, you know, Kelly sort of lost Because it. everything works backwards from there are no sorries in Trump world. Everybody gets tainted by Trump. Yeah. He will never say... He, it's so easy to say, oh, I didn't say the right thing to the widow. It will never happen. And, but and not to undermine what Kelly has done right. I mean, he has made the White House a lot more functional. Even I mean, Corker was a bit right when he said it's turned into an adult gay, daycare center. But, but it has <laughs> in the sense that Trump's tweeting has gotten sort of... I mean, it's still bad, but it is kind of contained. And he's part of this containment faction, this axis of adults in the West Wing that is keeping us from going off the rails. <laughs> Well, that's why I'm asking and worrying about the guy who just did this. So. Yeah, look, I think what happened was, is General Kelly told the president when he called this wall with her that look, when, when people are fighting men and women understand that when they take on this mission, they could die for, for the country or for each other, and it's something that binds them together, and you have to make that point. Of course, Trump has no empathy and his sentence structure is, is, is completely gone. He can't, he, can't, he can't say two sentences. No, I'm serious. That's been, that's been documented. So he gets on the phone, and he says, well, that's what he signed up for, and General Kelly heard what he wanted. I, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is somebody has to look. You know, when, when President Reagan was president toward the end of his term, Howard Baker had a memo, and they seriously were looking to see if he had any kind of cognitive issues, and they decided that he did not. I don't think Trump... Was, is capable of making those two thoughts. So I just think he went right to, well, that's what he signed up for, and then General Kelly wanted to hear that, and that's not the way that this, the, 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 the you widow think heard the it. Democrats should politicize this Niger episode because a lot of it sounds very similar to Benghazi. Right. I know there are differences, right. but we didn't have enough assets on the ground, right? We got surprised, and that's what they would do. And, you know, until... I think Senator McCain is already calling 
federal matters he's to find out what happened. I know he's not a Democrat. I think the Democrats could. You know, we just can't do that. I, I mean, really? Trump, do you think, does anybody really think that Trump could find Niger on the map? <laughs> do you think, he, does, any, does anybody in the world think that he even knew he had people like Can I just say, yeah. in, in okay. all seriousness, um, just four, four names, Brian Black, Jeremiah Johnson, mm -hmm. Dustin Wright, LaDavid Johnson, in this entire conversation, their names haven't come up. Those are the four men who died. Yeah. And now we've got, yeah, the, everybody it. knows the congresswoman and everybody knows the president. These are the heroes. Well, yeah, yeah, the reason we know the congresswoman how, how is because of, you know. because of right. well, Yeah. Okay. But, but politicizing it to what end? Um, I'm just but saying. just remember, like, Benghazi didn't work out for Republicans politically. I mean, really? I mean in, yes, I, because I, I know what you're going to say. The convention? So, please go for it. Go for it. The, do it. The convention yeah, was just all Trump. about Benghazi. Here's what Trump... Do you think that helped Republicans? Like, did you think that's why Donald Trump got elected? Yes. Elected because of Benghazi? Because if you pull any independent in that period, independents heard the word Benghazi and they went no effing you know, way. It's uh, a Republican. There are, first of all, there are no General Flynn would not be comfortable in a Democratic Party. And a Democratic Party would not be comfortable with General Flynn. So if people went out and gave a speech like General Flynn gave it to the Republican Convention, that couldn't happen. Okay. They don't well, care. As, it, as long as the Democrats would, keep bringing a knife to a gunfight, they will lose. But, Can, but let me just read. Let me so just partisan though like you you go back and forth in the show I've noticed between wanting to try to like survive Trump by pulling us together and and being better than Trump and then there's like this other instinct well, to like win each battle and not the war and, and it's like which one is gonna win here's what Trump said at the convention in Libya our consulate the symbol of American prestige around the globe yes move over Mount Rushmore and the Statue of Liberty <laughs> The symbol of our freedom was the consulate in Benghazi. <laughs> was, was brought down in flames. Libya is in ruins. Our ambassador and her staff were left helpless to die at the hands of savage killers. Giuliani Julie, said her dereliction of duty and failure to keep her people safe played a major role in the horrific Islamic terrorist murder. That's how they played the game. Well, and the way the Democrats play the and game is they go on TV and say it was a YouTube video in a protest uh, when Locker it was actually an organized up. attack. Uh, and I think had Donald Trump, and I'm actually surprised he didn't do this, go out on TV and immediately start saying something that was nonsense, uh, that's your opening for Benghazi. I, I think it was an unforced error in the rush-up to the campaign in 2012 that helped Republicans. I, I think these are largely different, in particular because the rules of engagement in uh, Niger were a situation where we weren't even allowed to have aerial drones. Neither, well, we was it, neither one was a scandal. Both were a mistake. The difference is they have no shame. Look, look, we, did they say that, that global warming is a Chinese hoax, although a hurricane hit Ireland in mid-October. Yeah. If, if, if I'm a Republican, and I say I'm not, I don't buy into this evolution stuff. That doesn't matter. If a Democrat said that, we would say, you can't say it. I mean, that's insane. But you're a Democrat. You, you, you just can't be anything but a Democrat. You can't, be, you can't believe that. That's just the nature of who you are. If we cannot believe that the Earth is 5,000 years old or climate change is a Chinese hoax. We just can't. What, what Democrats you don't do, believe it either. I, what Democrats should do is, is use the opportunity to actually drive the question of why are there 800 special forces in Niger? Why are we spending another $100 million on a drone facility in Niger? Because we already have a $100 million drone facility in Niger. To have a conversation about what our forces are doing around the world, I mean, use this as an opportunity to actually force a substantive debate about our engagement around the world. That would be informative and serve, do a service for the country. Well, you just started yeah. it. There you go. There you go.
Um, can I read what uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said about General Kelly in the briefing? If you want to go after General Kelly, that's up to you. But I think that if you want to get into a debate with a four-star Marine general, that's highly inappropriate. I hate this. It's highly inappropriate to question the president's chief of staff. Is, is this already a dictatorship? Is no, but it, it's it, jackassery. Uh, and I say this as a conservative. Um, you know, this—it's—it's okay. it's, it's, the idea that we can't question the chief of staff of the White House. I, I'm a conservative and a Republican. I questioned George W. Bush, and his White House didn't get mad about it. Yeah. Here's the scariest thing: Trump tweet uh, last week. Network news has become so partisan, distorted, and fake that licenses must be challenged and, if appropriate, revoked. Talking about the word revoke. When we're talking about broadcast, it's one thing to say fake news and I hate him and the failing New York Times, but that's this is a new uh, place he's going. But but he can't do that, right? Because that's not how the FCC works. Well, you have you know you, there's not one license. There's 24 yeah. NBC licenses across yeah, the country. That, the but, FCC but, yeah, yeah, first of all, know how it works. no one cares what Sarah Huckabee Sanders says. <laughs> okay, I mean, sure. she's not. That, 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 I mean, you look at that poor woman and you actually have, there's some sympathy you have for her. I mean, she's... <laughs> right. Trump, on the other hand, he's the president of the United States. He's not some... Look, look at Sean Spicer. I mean, no one... Who cared? He looked like he was in so far as head and lying so much you know what he was doing. It's one thing, but she can't think of anything else to say. What can you say when the chief of staff says that a woman said something at a dedication of an FBI building that the tape says something else. Well, you gotta go, you gotta make something up. Well, who, who's gonna question a four-star general? Actually, everybody questions four-star generals. No, I mean, They're the most I, questioned I, people in the world. I wonder if, if, if uh, Trump tweeted, Obama is hiding under my bed. <laughs> and they asked her the next day, she would say, uh, well, I have not discussed that with the president. <laughs> He may have tweeted it. Yeah, you know, okay. can I just say, my, no my problem is not what the president said, per se, although I got an issue with it. It's that if Barack Obama had said it, Republicans would have pitchforks and torches in the street, and suddenly the polling has shifted. And I was an elected Republican, I am a conservative, and it disturbs me that any man, regardless of either party, can say something and the people in his party suddenly agree with him when it's unconstitutional. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, here, here. <laughs> So, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the name uh, Bettina Rodriguez Aguilera, but I couldn't avoid it this week because uh, she is running uh, for the seat of our old friend Ileana Ross Lathan, who was on this show many times, and she's running there in Florida. And she's got an interesting profile. She believes she was abducted by aliens when she was seven <laughs> and taken aboard their spaceship and believes that in the ensuing years they sometimes telepathically communicate with her and that the Coral Castle... Anyone from Miami that's a tourist attraction down there, it's made of limestone, is actually an ancient Egyptian pyramid. <laughs> Not the same one that Ben Carson Starting thinks now, that the, has grain in it, but... So, you know the Republicans, they always turn into a skid, and they just embrace it. So she's, uh, she's not uh, <laughs> shying away from these beliefs. We got a hold of some of her campaign posters. Bettina Aguilera, I see a shining city hovering over my house. <laughs> Vote for me or my intergalactic overlords will harvest your tissue to feed their pod spawn. <laughs> Are you better off than you were four light years ago? <laughs> and I know light years is a measure of distance. Ner Don't write me, nerds. Don't nerd me. Uh, I have a beam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
No on Prop 51. Yes on Area 51. <laughs> Black holes matter. <laughs> you can have my probe when you pry it from my cold, dead anus. <laughs> Bettina Aguilera, still not as crazy as Scientology. <laughs> and... At least I'm not Putin's bitch. Okay, let's bring out Daryl. He is a musician, author of Clandestine Relationships, A Black Man's Odyssey in the Ku Klux Klan and subject of the film Accidental Taurus. Please welcome Daryl Davis. Daryl. How are you? Great pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, wow. Well, I tell you, you have the most interesting story. I saw your film. I had to get you on here. A lot of people talking about making changes. Uh, you actually do it. You go out there and you seek out Ku Klux Klansmen, you become their friends, and you take their garments. Indeed. <laughs> how many, uh, <laughs> how many clan robes do you have now? Well, actually, I just got three in the last month. From, so, these are from people who've retired them because you they, brought... You... They were active clan members who decided to change their ideology. So I would say now, um, roughly... 42 or 45. And you always get the robe as your... That's like... Well, I get the, uh, the robe or yeah, other art. You, know, you artifacts, deserve it. You know, T-shirts, belt oh, buckles. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so how did you get into this? You lost a bet or something? I mean, what, what, what sort of... <laughs> well, Black my, man says, I want to go meet Klansmen. Well, what it was, you know, I, my, my parents were in the Foreign Service. Okay. So I spent a lot of time overseas. Different countries every two years. And overseas, when I, as a kid, you know, I'm 59 years old now, but in the early 60s when a I was young in grade man. school... Yeah, indeed I am. So my classes overseas were filled with kids from Italy, Nigeria, Japan, Russia, whoever had an embassy in those countries, we all went to school together. And so while I was being multicultural, so to speak, my peers back home here in my own country were either going to newly integrated schools or still segregated ones. And there was not the amount of diversity in the classroom that I had overseas. I was literally living 12 to 15 years ahead of my time when I was overseas. So I was already prepared. Like Obama. There you go. He, exactly. he learned a lot. Exactly. Yeah, he... Precisely. It was great that he had that outlook on life from living in a lot of places. So I, I was unfamiliar with racism. And then one time when I was back here at age 10, I just landed in uh, Belmont, Massachusetts, suburb of Boston. And I joined the Cub Scouts, and we had a parade along with the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Brownies, and the 4-H Club, from Lexington to Concord to commemorate the ride of Paul Revere. And I was the only black scout participating in this parade. And somewhere down the parade route, I began getting hit with uh, bottles and soda pop cans and rocks and debris from the street by just a small group, maybe four or five mm. white people, a couple kids, a couple adults. And I thought, being naive, oh, those people over there don't like the scouts. I didn't realize that I was the only scout getting hit. Oh. Until my den mother, my, my scout leader, all came rushing back and huddled over me and escorted me out of the danger. And when I got home, my mom and dad, who were not at the march, were asking me, how did you fall down and get all scraped up? I told them I didn't fall down. I told them what happened. And for the first time in my life, believe it or not, at the age of 10, they explained racism to me. I'd never heard of it. And I could not get my head around the idea that someone who had never seen me spoken to me or knew nothing about me would want to inflict pain upon me for no other reason than this, the color of my skin. 
So I did not believe my parents. My parents had never lied to me before. But on this day, I did not believe them. Because but you're still friends with some of these guys. You've con you've well, you mean the ones in fourth grade? The ones who've converted. No, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. Know, the ones who gave up the robe. Absolutely. You know. and, you're you know, even godfather to one of their kids? That's, that is correct. Uh, but, but, yeah. but, and are, are today's Klansmen different? I mean, is it not your grandfather's clan? Or, I mean, well, it seems like the clan. Not my grandfather's clan. No. <laughs> no. No, definitely not that. Um, are they different? Are they? they uh, no. The, I, the ideology is pretty much still the same. However, today, they've kind of like, you know, shred the hood and the robe, especially in public. A lot of them still wear, you know, for ceremonial purposes, things like that. But they want to assimilate into the mainstream. Really? You know, but that actually started back in the 80s, you know, where they want to assimilate and blend in and say, hey, you know, it, we all think the same way. Come join us. We'll fight the fight together. It, it really seems like white men have just been rousted, like, you know, racially, sexually, you know, with women, with, with the race issue. They, they just don't feel there's a certain percentage of them. And Trump is their hero. He's the last hurrah. He's the last guy defending this life that has gone with the wind. Well, you know, really. I, 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 <laughs> uh, but I you think say, he's you think he's the best thing that happened, right? Yes, absolutely. I think Donald Trump is the best thing that has happened to this country. And let me explain why. Okay, we cannot. You know, for for the past eight years, everybody blamed uh, the rise in racism on Obama. Everybody blamed Obama for everything. He walks down, you walk down the street, sure. trip on the sidewalk, it's Obama's fault. Right. Okay? Um, and now today we're blaming Trump for racism. Racism existed before Donald Trump, before Obama, before Bill Clinton, before George Bush. Okay? The people to blame are ourselves for not addressing it and putting a taboo on the conversation of talking about racism and getting this country straight. Our country is going to be one of two things, what we make it or what we let it become. And, you know, the Klan is also about religion. It's a Christian organization, right? I mean, listen, look, 43% of Americans identify now as white and Christian. 43%. In 1976, it was 81%. So they're not crazy that that world is going away. Yeah, but don't tie it to... The, don't tie Christianity to the Klan. Well, yeah, I mean, there are people who very... call themselves all sorts of things, but yeah. they burn crosses. Uh, okay. My Savior was nailed yeah. to one. Yeah, I understand. Well, but religion is what people make of Let... their own religion. We know that. <laughs> if I might it's... add something in there, I, I'll tell you a true but... story. This Klansman was riding in my car with me, and we were talking, and I asked him exactly what you said, you know, about burning the cross. You know, if you're a Christian, why do you burn the cross? And he said, well, the flame represents two things. One, it represents uh, purity. You know, if you ever get a, a splinter in your finger, your mom takes the needle and puts it in the fire and digs it out. So we use the flame symbolically to signify the purity of the white race. The second reason why we burn the cross is because we are Christian and we're lighting the way for Jesus Christ. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, hold on a second. I said, you obviously have a different Jesus Christ than I do. And he says, well, no, Daryl, there's only one Jesus Christ. I said, no, there must be two. And he says, well, how do you figure? Is, is your well, Jesus Christ black? I said, no, he's not black. I said, but he's not white either. If anything, he was olive-complected based upon the area in which he appeared. And he, I, and he says, well, if you know, if you're a Christian as you say you are, you know that Jesus Christ is coming back. So we're lighting the way for Jesus Christ. I said, that proves that you have a, di a different Jesus Christ than I do because my Jesus Christ lights the way for me. Amen. Who the hell are you to light the way for Jesus Christ? Amen. Right? Well, it's, uh, you know...
It's, it's, <laughs> it's always great to use logic on psychopathic murderers because it's so effective. But I hate to be the skunk at the garden party, but that's why religion is dangerous, because it's completely fucking made up so that anybody... So that anybody can put anything they want on it, including horrific the shit. The atheists who are communists have killed a whole lot of people that, in the that, 20th century. That, that's a dumb canard. Come on. The, no, it's atheism not. had nothing religion to do... Is dangerous. First of all, communism, you, you, you take out any saving grace, it's all people. No. The mob is Communism was the religion, and the leader, Stalin, was the god. But, okay, I just want to say, religiously unaffiliated in this poll, this is the latest P-R-I-R-I P-R-R-I poll, these are people who do this every year, uh, nearly one in four Americans are now religiously un unaffiliated. In 1976, that was only 7%. 18 to 29, 38%. And when you talk to people about it, it they kind of are saying, I don't go to church because the only people who still go are assholes. You know, like... <laughs> And the, the refugee thing kind of brought this to light because that's like a, a, a traditional thing the church always did. We bring in refugees. Well, the evangelical base doesn't want to let in refugees. So, so the young people are like, that, that, that's not very Jesus-y. So what's the point? Yeah, no, well, first of all, I still go to church. I don't think I'm an asshole, but that's all right. We'll just leave that no, aside. I didn't say and everybody. I, I, and, and I'll just say... This man is a better human being than I am. Okay, I'll just flat out say that right now. Everybody, we should aspire. Look, people are religion that, that all kinds. I mean, there's, there's nuns in tennis shoes that work in hospices. They are entirely different than people that are burning crosses to light the way for Jesus. I mean, it's a, it's a, in that atheists, they're, 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 some are some of the smartest, most innovative people, the nicest and most humane people you've ever met. Some are not. But I mean, just the fact that a person is faithful or a person goes to church doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that they're an asshole. They're, they're, no, they're I, as buried as anybody say else. All assholes. I'm so, well, sure you just said that. What you often say is that people who are religious aren't smart, right? They're dumb. They're stupid. No, no. Not, right? And no, that's like three-quarters of the in, United States still. It's still 75% of the country no. if 25% is unaffiliated. But that's not what I say. Still prescribed. In okay, fact, what do you the say? movie Religious starts with the question, how can otherwise intelligent people believe in a talking snake? Right. The question is, how can you just wall... I think all of you are intelligent, and I guess you're all religious. Uh, I don't know how people can... <laughs> I, I don't know how people can wall off a part of their mind and believe in something that's an obviously debunked Bronze Age myth. I, it permeates everything I do and, and sure. reminds me of how terrible I can be. Um, it, it shapes my life and gives me great comfort. My wife is well, battling an incurable cancer right now. I, I'm glad I believe in an afterlife and, and a God who I can pray to. Uh, there are some people who, who are terrible human beings who hide behind religion. We've seen a lot of them last year supporting a man who doesn't believe anything they claim to believe. And it's disappointing and it hurts well, that's my thing. cause. But... I do think that a lot of people haven't been religious for a long time, and they're only now just comfortable admitting it. They're not all assholes, but but 80 percent of the of the big churchgoers voted for Donald Trump. You know, a so lot like of, how can you? A lot of people struggle in doubt. Me, right. okay, and some yeah. people you say something, oh, you know, that's the point. And there's somebody else you go, and you know, somebody else something. And say, that's the point. I mean, struggling in doubt and yeah. it's all part of the. It all comes to the thing and. Certainty is a difficult thing to arrive at, right. but it, it's a framework. And, and you know, people. The problem is, is when somebody actually picks up the New Testament and reads it, that's when you get into trouble. 
Well, that's okay, as long as, yeah, as long as it, what they say, if you, they ask you for your and, shirt, you give them your coat, that, uh-oh, that's And that's bad. what I'm saying. I'm right. saying in the past, I wouldn't expect, uh, you know, conservatives to be perfect uh, Christians or perfectly Christ-like, but it seems like they don't even make an effort to be the least bit like what Jesus would do. Right. Not, so, uh, so many, many, some, yeah. Well, uh, that's why Martin Luther King said that um, Sunday mornings from 11 a.m. to 12 noon is the most segregated time in this country because everybody calls themselves Christians, but each one goes to different churches, Lutherans, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, etc. They, they all are reading the King James Bible, but each one is interpreting the verses differently. Okay, so can I show a little video before we run out of time? This is Santa Rosa, California this week and uh, I, you know I know the the global warming is a hoax like you said James and, and all that stuff but I, I have never seen a picture like that that looks like Dresden or something looks like something after the war and I just am bringing that up to to mention that all these people who these Republicans who criticize Donald Trump they vote with them right. on issues like this. Right. Issues are what matter. Let's try not to take our eye off that ball. Right. Bob Corker, who said the White House has become the adult daycare center, uh, votes with Trump 95.8% of the time. And Marco Rubio, who said we're about to turn over the nuclear codes to an erratic individual, uh, votes with that nut 95.8%. Mitch McConnell, who said it's pretty obvious he doesn't know a lot about the issues, votes with him 95.8% of the time. Ted Cruz called him a pathological liar, utterly immoral, only 93.9. So, so that's, that's the situation. Why? Because that includes the, the data. I think that probably comes from the report I read at 538, but it includes referrals from committee, yeah. floor votes, naming post offices. Um, you mean all his accomplishments? It, it, it includes everything. Because there, yes. there, there, there truly haven't been that many. Um, and the votes that matter, when you read them out, uh, there actually is real disagreement. That's why uh, Ted Cruz, for example, has a lower number in the 90s. Ben Sass is even lower. But when you include referrals from committee and motions to proceed to debate in that number, of course, it's going to be very high because they actually have very few accomplishments. But they still haven't Congress. brokered with them well, because they want that tax cut. Well, yes. well precise, I mean, precise, I think you, what you see in the Republican Party is this sort of two strategies, containment and then there's accommodation. And the accommodationists are going along with Trump for different reasons. Some of them are scared to death of the base, and they're afraid to actually right. be honest and sincere. There are some of them who are actually principled and think, he's the president, and maybe we'll get some good policies out of it, right? Yeah. And, and so you may disagree with the results of those policies, but, but it is principled in their own way to still deliver to their constituents what they've promised. There's a very important distinction. The people that say something against Trump don't have to run for re-election in 2018. <laughs> 75 to 80 percent of the Republicans are with Trump. And so Bob Corker, he, he can say anything he wants because he's not running for re-election. Name me somebody that comes up that has to go out and face Republican voters that do yeah, this. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Not gonna, and, and the reason I believe that there is a God, because he sent us a signal. He sent a hurricane to Ireland in mid-October. If that doesn't get you, he's like shaking you. You don't understand that? That's what, shaking I'm going to help you make your point. I mean, That's what Pat Robertson says. I, he says, I, I, all right. I'm being... In the, in the, all right. In the one minute I have before New Rules, I want to read something. Uh, it's quoting Abraham Lincoln, because in a week that was about fallen soldiers... I remember this. It was in my favorite movie, Saving Private Ryan. And this is a letter that Abraham Lincoln, I think we can show it, but I'll read it if we can't. Uh, or, there it is. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering 
the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. I think that's how you do it. We don't expect that, but that would be the top. All right, thank you, panel. Time for new rules, everybody, new rules. Okay. New rule, now that Nabisco is offering the new mystery Oreo, where they don't tell you the flavor, you have to guess. Their next cookie must be called, just shut up and eat it, you fat fuck. Come on, Nabisco, if I wanted what I'm eating to be a mystery, I'd order Chinese food. Uh, snowflakes, you know her. All right, new rule now that Taco Bell has launched its own clothing line, Urban Outfitters <laughs> has to start selling tacos that make you sick. And if you do purchase an item from the Taco Bell line, may I recommend this jacket because it helpfully warns the people behind you that you've just been to Taco Bell. <laughs> Neural, stop criticizing this couple that decided to go ahead with their outdoor wedding in the middle of a hurricane. She got to see just how committed he was to the marriage, and he got to experience one last time getting blown. <laughs> <laughs> New rule, fashion bloggers have to stop trying to make these nose hair extensions a thing. Ugh. I look at that and I don't think there's a sexy, offbeat, pixie girl. I think, oh, my dentist. My dentist, Barry Mankoff. Oh, fuck. I mean, you, you get what I'm doing. New rule, the smuggling ring courier caught trying to board a flight from Sri Lanka to India with nearly a kilo of gold hidden in his rectum has to admit when they busted him, he nearly shit a brick. <laughs> some highbrow, some lowbrow. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> new rule, if Russia is going to keep attacking America, then America really should fight back. The, you know... The conventional wisdom is that in the 1980s, St. Ronald Reagan defeated the Soviet... <laughs> defeated the Soviet Union. And... <laughs> And then the Berlin Wall came down and everybody was friends. But what really happened was we stopped fighting the Cold War. But the Russians never did. They may have changed the name of the KGB the way Kentucky Fried Chicken became KFC, but <laughs> trust me, they're both still out there poisoning people. <laughs> there is an entire building in St. Petersburg filled with a Russian troll army hundreds of employees of their defense department sitting in front of computers pretending to be Americans and creating thousands of tweets, memes, news site comments, and flat-out fake stories designed not to take sides on any issue, but just to get us fighting about it, to create chaos, the better to elect the chaos candidate. Here's an example of a Russian created meme from 2016. It says, 
up to 5.7 million illegals may have voted in 2008 election. Well, that, of course, is ridiculous, but it nevertheless reached 10 million American voters by way of Facebook, millions more through Twitter, and one guy on Bing. <laughs> Hillary Clinton spent over a billion dollars on the campaign, and the Russians beat her with 150 grand because they were able to turn Facebook into fake book. Or a more apt name might be shit starter. Because <laughs> that's what they were doing. That's what their meddling was meant to do, start shit. And boy, was that easy to do, since Facebook is the place where thinking went to die. All the time, people used to just waste reading books and newspapers. Well, now they're sharing. Sharing. Isn't it great that we all share? <laughs> Putin thinks it's great. That's why he only had to spend 150 grand, because we spread his propaganda for him. And it really bugs me that Facebook took that word and rat-fucked it. Sharing, as I recall it, meant actually giving something of yours away to another. Another kid forgot his lunch, you gave him half of yours. Sharing. But how is it sharing to send me a picture of your lunch? That's just saying, <laughs> I've got food and you don't. <laughs> Facebook sharing isn't sharing. It's mostly humble bragging. Uh, so embarrassed, didn't realize there was a hole in the knee of my jeans and now my penis was showing. <laughs> it's a lot of that bullshit and it's a healthy amount of, here's something I want you to know I have. For something called sharing, there's an awful lot of, look at me, look how talented my kids are, look what great concert seats I have, look. I'm in Italy and you're in Pacoima. <laughs> and the Russians saw this and they took our everyone needs to smell my every brain fart culture <laughs> and used it as the engine for spreading their bullshit for the purpose of starting cockfights. Except we're the cocks. We're the brainless birds pecking at each other. That's what Putin knew, that with social media, it would be easy to get America to start cockfighting. He just made sure the tiniest cock won. <laughs> All right, that's our show. I'll be at Madison Square Garden November 11th and at the Blaisdell in, in Honolulu New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah, with Bob Saget and Reggie Brown and the Maui Art, Maui Art Center and Maui New Year's Day. Thank you, folks. I want to thank James Carvel, Margaret Hoover, Eric Erickson, Daryl Davis, and Janice Wynn. Join us now for Overtime on YouTube. Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10 or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.